Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, look, I'll be the first to admit that the Milwaukee-Boston underlean from yesterday that I didn't pull the trigger on was not right. Although I would argue this, if Boston hadn't given up, what was it, 900 offensive rebounds, that actually might have gotten there. Bucks just had too many damn tries. But you live and learn. Here's the thing. You look for spots where tempo, where pace, where possession total, all that stuff leans in your favor. And if you look at the Boston side, they didn't have that many turnovers. Free throws were super low. They shot the ball well to get to 107 points. 51% was a good offensive showing, but they only had about 99, 100 possessions in the game. So tempo-wise, Boston did what they wanted to do. They just couldn't keep Milwaukee off the glass. So the Bucks ended up with whatever it was, an extra, like, 15. I think they had, like, 15 extra possessions in that game or something crazy. Thir- 12, 13, something like that. If you wipe those off the board, and you can't, obviously, but then the pace looks like what it was. One thing we did see in that ball game that I think we can take into the next one, Bucks are going to push the pace every chance they get because Giannis is their offense. Drew's their defense, though. I don't want to say anything from Drew Holiday. Ooh, boy. Man, did he look good at the end of that ballgame. Defensively. Anywho, um, turn the page. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Thursday's Fantasy NBA Today. we got two more games on the docket tonight. We'll see if we can pull anything apart from those. Miami, Philly, Phoenix, Dallas. You guys, they've they've finally got it into a rotation here. I Is there a day off coming up at some point, or are they... Yeah, I think they finally, actually, it looks like Saturday might be a day devoid of games if we get that far. Well, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, Tuesday, let's look at the the Tuesday results and what can they teach us about these Thursday games. First of all, Miami beat Philly, as we talked about, 120-85. to That game went under the posted total, but only by the tiniest, tiniest little bit. And I thought even going into that game, looking at the, thir- the Tuesday lines, it felt to me like the odds makers had pretty much nailed the pace of the ball game. Philly and Miami, those teams don't want to play all that fast. You've actually seen the total adjusted down a little bit, about a, about a point, not even a full possession. It's at 207 as I'm recording the podcast right now, and I'm sure it'll move by the time you guys listen to this, but that's where it is right now. Philly's favored by two and a half points. They lost the last one by 35. You've got to think they bounce back. Miami's not going to shoot 18% better from the field than Philly in the next ballgame. That said, Heater battle-tested. That team just not getting sufficient respect all the way through. But Philly is better at home. That's why I don't like the side very much. What I do like is this concept of, well, how many chances are teams going to get? And it was about some of their neighborhood on the... Uh, Philly side, about 107, 108 chances. Miami out-rebounded them by a bunch and had a better turnover number. So the Heat had extra possessions in the ballgame. Not surprisingly, they got up to about 106, 107. Uh, I guess I was actually relatively close. How the hell did that happen? I guess it's the rebounds were kind of a uh, little bit of a false... I mean, it was Philly just missing a ton of shots. That's why they were so inefficient in their opportunities. But the teams were, you know, it wasn't like one team went crazy on the offensive glass and turned into a bunch of extra opportunities. So the rebounding thing was a little bit of a sort of an untruth. Turnovers ever so slight 
tip it into Miami favor. But yeah, most both these teams had about 100, 708 looks at the bucket. Sort of traditional, what you'd call like offensive opportunities. Which should have put the total somewhere in like that 212, 213 range. And that would have gone ever so slightly over the posted total of 208. Still, as you look towards the next ball game, even if you think Philly's going to shoot the ball better, and I do, you have to also assume Miami's going to shoot the ball worse. They almost definitely will. And if you look at the games in Philly prior to that, what did we see? Well, Philly was really efficient in uh, game four. They put up 116 points, but, and that's the, the big question mark, it was only on like 100 possessions. Miami actually had more in that ball game. Again, it was a turnover thing, but it wasn't by a gigantic margin. It was like 109 instead of 101. Am I getting that right? 101. Yeah. So they had an extra handful of possessions. Miami did, but they just... Philly shot the ball so damn well that that kind of covered up for it. 16 three-pointers will also make a difference there and 54% shooting. So that game in Philly had more like 210 Still, what you're seeing in these last couple ball games is that, yes, that one went over, and that was one where we did have an over lean. And then coming back to Miami, we had a little bit of an under tilt, although I thought the number was pretty close to spot on. It just, to me, felt like you had the, you know, one team that shot the ball really well, and so it sort of artificially went over the number, which had gotten a little bit too low. And now the possession total is pretty close to right. As these series grind on... Defenses do tend to get a little bit better. Players tend to get a little bit tired. You haven't had that, you know, two days off thing. So I would look a little bit at the under in this one, but not by much. I really do feel like odds makers are getting pretty close with the pace. And then Phoenix-Dallas total is 212 there. Suns are actually one and a half point road favorite in this ballgame, which, I mean, that's kind of interesting given the fact line only moved four points game to game. This is odds makers or money, whatever it might be, telling us, that people really did buy Phoenix beating the snot out of Dallas in uh, Game 5. That the Suns whipping them by 30 was kind of this tipping point in the series. That's what this line tells us. I'm not sure I buy it. Dallas looked really good at home in both of those two wins. Phoenix didn't look that great. Did they make the adjustment to get over the hump here? Defensively, did Phoenix do something dramatically different, or did Dallas just miss some shots? Either way, the total in that ballgame was 215.5, and it went way under, 190 points, and the oddsmakers did actually react to that. That number moved down by 3.5 points to 212, and I think it's sort of finally catching up a little bit. The series has been slow all the way through. Phoenix found a way to be really efficient in their two home games, but I think we're like four out of five unders in this series so far. Or they all go under. No, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, uh, game two went over. Well, one and two went over. So it was over, over, under, under, under. Which was cool because those early overs created the bubble. The under bubble. Line was at like 218 after... Game 2, 219 in some places, came down right before the, the ball game tip. But you knew Phoenix wasn't going to shoot as well as they did through the entire series. Dallas was going to make some adjustments. Suns were just going to kind of come back to earth. And now, as we've seen a bunch of times, 
things have kind of leveled off a little bit. If you're looking at number of possessions again, and that's a game we, we play here, Dallas was right around 100 in that last ball game. Phoenix was more than that, better rebounding, took care of the basketball better. They were at about 106 or so, 107. Still, 207 is a tiny bit under the mark, even at this lower number. Are the, the shooting percentages, is the efficiency finally going to taper off a bit more consistently, or does Dallas come roaring back and we have a high-scoring game? Slightly to the under in the nightcap, Phoenix-Dallas. I think that you see it, This you know, the series is, to me, starting to look a little bit more defensive in nature. And Miami-Philly, there might even be the tiniest wiggle room on the over, but again, by game six, things do start to get very chippy and slow and slugfesty. Um, so I don't think that, and, and as you've heard, I don't really like going with the overs in these bets anyway. So even if it tilts that way, I don't think I'm going. Shout out once again to our buddies at Fantasy NFL Today and Fantasy MLB Today. Please do check out those podcasts. And remember, folks, here at Sports Ethos, there's no such thing as the fantasy offseason. Only the fantasy pre-draft season. We got NBA draft coverage. What rookie are you going to be taking next year? Because remember, I actually softened my stance on it a little bit. What rookie's going to end up in the right spot? You need to know about them early. What is their stat set going to look like? How does that translate to the NBA level? The sports ethos guys are all over it. We got draft rumors going around right now. This is all in the fantasy pass. You'll have free agency when that comes around in July. Summer league later in the offseason. It'll roll you right into an early edition of the Brewski 150 Fantasy Pass at sportsethos.com. Click on the fant or the uh, premium tab, excuse me, and choose Fantasy Pass. Get started today, just $5.99 a month and growing with more sports on the horizon. Pretty damn cool. Today we've got a lesson learned, but it's back to being one from me, <laughs> which I know you guys probably feel like you've had enough of those, but Sadly, you don't. And what I want to talk about today in, in terms of this lesson learned stuff is that I think I learned a lesson about streaming this year. You know, we talk about it a fair amount. You know, we, we get into it here on the show. We have our four playoff weeks that are streamer weeks where you go, you know, very heavy into it. But what should you be doing on the stream front throughout the regular season? And this applies to both, head-to-head -head and roto. So if you're a roto player, I don't want you to immediately tune this one out. And in fact, if you're a roto player, I'm going to talk to you first. Streaming in roto is very much a thing. And it was a big thing this season and last season because COVID took such a monster chunk out of the NBA season of a number of players, almost the entire league. There was a point where there was like 30 to 40% of the NBA was in COVID protocols, and we knocked out like almost every relevant player missed a couple of games for COVID protocols somehow this year. Not everybody, almost everybody. So don't like in your head immediately start thinking, I know a guy who didn't. Yeah, we all know a guy who didn't. It wasn't all of them, but it was a lot of them. The reason I bring that up 
is because historically, in Roto Games Cap formats, if you're getting, for a very long time, it was like around 74 games played per NBA average starter, you could fill in the gaps there with, you know, the first two-ish guys on your bench. Because you can do the math pretty quickly there. Uh, if every player, if you're starting 10, each on average missed eight ball games a year, you're going to need an extra 80 games to fill in. So that means you need one and a little bit more than one extra player. So you need an 11th guy and then a little bit of a 12th guy. And probably a tiny bit more than that because you'll... You know, you're going to be attacking different categories and so on and so forth. So basically, that's like a 12-player league. Lately, and by the way, I should also mention, if you set your games cap a little bit higher, which I do like to do, uh, I say 85. Actually, back in, the, back in the day when players were actually going 74 games at 82, I used to crank that thing up to 88 or 90. Okay, then... Not, you're getting 74 per slot, but you need an extra, say, 14 to 16 games per roster slot. So now you're talking about 140 to 160 extra games played. So that's definitely player 11 and player 12. And those guys are only going to play 70-some-odd or whatever it happens to be. Or, you know, you're going to rotate guys in and out. So you actually kind of need a 13th, maybe even a 14th, depending on what categories you're targeting once again. Well, now we're in a new era of fantasy basketball, and I don't know how long it's going to last, but I'm guessing we're not out of it yet. And that era is players are missing 14 to 15 games a season. That's a big, that is a huge bounce from eight. Or even like pre-COVID, it was right before, it was like 10, 10 and a half. So you're talking about an extra three to five games per player missed per fantasy season. And I know I'm droning on and on about this this game's missed thing. This is not a podcast about drafting a healthy roster. You guys know where I stand on that stuff. This is a podcast about how streaming, even on the Roto side, actually makes a really big difference. Because when you're now, even if you just set it at 82 games per slot, if guys are now suddenly playing 67 instead of 74, you're talking about 15 14, 15, whatever it is, missed games per slot just to get to 82. So whatever you're throwing in off the bench, call that 150 missed games out of your starting 10, two guys of 67 games isn't going to get you there. You're now a full 13 players just to get to 82 games. Just to get to 82. Heaven forbid... You set that games cap a tiny bit higher, which, again, I really thought, pipe dream looking back, of course, now, but I really thought that this season we had a shot of maybe having slightly fewer missed games than the previous year, but then with everybody getting COVID in December and January, that didn't play itself out, and it was just as bad, but with 82 games instead of 72. So like a dummy, I set mine to whatever it was, 85, 86 games, something like that, thinking we could just squeeze a little extra out. Ah, you know, we'll go 12, 13 deep in this league. That uh, turned out to be a very foolhardy decision because then we weren't 150 games missed, 67 out of 82. It was now 67 out of 85 or whatever it was. So now you're cooking 
at 180 games you got to make up with your bench players. So that's a full three guys. You need to have 13 dudes that you could play every day. Or, see what I did there? Transition, segue, or you have basically like nine or ten guys you trust and then a rotating cavalry of streamer-level players to make up that 150, 180 games you need to find. Maybe you don't trust your 11th guy. Maybe you only really have 10 dudes that you want to play every night. That's okay. The way to win Roto Leagues with a games cap is to maximize the impact of every single game played you have over the course of that fantasy season. That means try not to start guys who are top 125ers. That's not good enough in Roto. If you have to, you have to. I get it. It's going to happen from time to time, and then you'll have weeks where guys do that. But, you know, overall, at the end of the year, you hope that they'll settle into a, a higher number than that. But your 12th pick, whoever that happens to be, I mean, you can look at your the results of your Roto draft and say, who is the, who is the 12th guy? Most of them probably got dropped. Is that fair to say? Crap. You know what? While we're on here, I'm just going to go to the draft results, and I'm going to go to the 12th round of one of my more competitive Roto Leagues. Kyle Kuzma made it through the year. Gary Trent made it through the year. Clay Thompson was a stash, so that's fine, but that was a little bit different. Seth Curry was kind of on and off of rosters this season. Overall, he was good enough post-trade, injuries, things like that. No. Aaron Gordon, a couple weeks at the end of the year, he was useful. Drummond, no. Danny Green, no. Sadiq Bey, no for a long time, yay for or yes for a little, and then no again for a while. Montrez Harrell, no. TJ Warren, no. Nick Claxton, no. Scotty Barnes is blended in there. This 12th round happened to be oddly good. <laughs> but generally, it's more like the 13th, which was Terrence Mann, Joe Harris, Kevin Herter. Tyrese Maxey was the one guy in that entire round who stayed on rosters this season. That's usually what your 12th round is like. It's like two out of the 12 guys actually make it through the fantasy season. The reason I bring that up is because if you're one of the 10 teams in the 12th round that didn't get a guy that's good enough to stay on your roster this season, that's more like a top 130 or even 150, or maybe it's just a straight miss and they deserve to be dropped, in a roto format, it makes a lot of sense to go hunting for those three or four game injury replacement or COVID replacement or whatever it happens to be, and you just chew up the 150 games you got to make up because players just don't play a whole season anymore. So streaming actually does matter in Roto. I hearken back to a conversation I had in late December on this podcast when I said, everybody in your league is quitting right now because their entire team has COVID. This is when you need to hunker down and focus harder. This is when you need to get those streamers because everybody was missing weeks at a time in there. All the key players in the NBA were missing a week or a week and a half or two weeks or whatever it was with Omicron. It was happening to you. It was happening to your opponents. Barely anybody was spared in fantasy circles. So if you were out there and you were scooping up the backup to the backup who was rolling at a top 60 clip for three games, that's awesome. That's like turning your 12th pick. And if you could do this consistently throughout the year, you're not going to get a guy that good the whole way through. But if you can consistently throughout the season rotate hot streamers into that roto slot, your 12th man, you turn your 12th pick into basically like a 6th or 7th rounder over the course of a season. That's way more important 
than just having a marginally healthy 12th man to make up games in your Roto League. So that's why streaming is important on the Roto side. Why it's important on the head-to-head side is not a discussion we need to have in an off-season episode of Fantasy NBA Today. If you're listening to this podcast in mid-May, which, hey, uh, episode 24 of our off-season, by the way, if you're listening to a fantasy basketball podcast in mid-May to a guy who's literally counting by the day how far he is into the off-season with you all, you don't need me to explain what streaming is on the head-to-head side. What I do want to note on this podcast is that streaming on the head-to-head side is a very finicky toy. You can't do it the same way you do on the Roto side. You can't just take your 12th player and turn it into basically what we just talked about for the Roto team, which is a rotating cavalry of guys that end up creating like a top 70 type of player. Because... That would require using all of your weekly roster moves, sometimes, on that one slot. Not always, but sometimes. It's too variable. There might be a week where you can pick up your 12th man streamer and hold that player for a full seven or eight days. And that's great and all. That means you can save your other three roster moves to do other stuff deal with other streaming slots, drop an injured player, stash somebody, whatever it is you want to do with your other your other slots there. But it's not like the Roto side, where if you pick up a guy and they're a dud, you can just drop them. If you pick up a guy in head-to-head, you probably don't want to just immediately drop them the next day. Yeah, you can in the middle of the season, because the moves are a little bit less important there. But if you're actually trying to stream in head-to-head, you need to have those levels of aggression. How aggressive will you be on the streaming front? When we're talking about the playoffs, and that's the freshest thing in all of our minds right now, we are extraordinarily aggressive with streaming. We are long streaming so that we can turn basically like three out of the four weekly moves into long streamers. We talked about this a lot during the postseason. You plan way out in advance. You try to use as few moves as possible to create as many extra games as possible. And sometimes that means dropping a guy who was basically just on your team the whole year. You drop injured players, all that kind of stuff. I believe, and I've talked about this a little bit sort of tangentially to other lessons learned, but I believe we need to be more aggressive with streaming in the regular season than I personally have been in the past. Now, is that because competition's gotten better? Yeah, I actually think it is. I don't know that I can prove this quantitatively, empirically, but I think, anecdotally, teams are just better. Fantasy competition is better. Information is more readily available. A lot of the players that I play against listen to this podcast, read Sports Ethos, whatever it happens to be. You can't just trot out your 13 best players and hope for the best. You need to get extra games And you need to be more willing to part with injured players. Remember, we did a show about how long to hold injured players. And that aggression level needs to be ratcheted up on the head-to-head side. I don't think the aggression level needs to be ratcheted up all that much on the Roto side. I think we were pretty aggressive anyway. And the only lesson from this season was we did it right in December, January. We did it right by hunkering down and working harder 
and turning all of those COVID absences into opportunity. If you ended up, and you know, I've, I've vented about this before, and it ties into the third round reversal and the whole Nikola Jokic thing right now, but if you had a pick in the 10 to 12 range, and you ended up with some combination of Paul George, Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal, uh, etc., guys that basically were either injured all year or just vastly underperformed, you pretty much had no chance of being even in the top half of your fantasy league. You just can't do it. If you start with a third-round pick and everybody else starts with a first-rounder, you're not going to compete with them. I actually believe that by doing what we did in December, January, and doing all that extra work during COVID, we gave our Roto teams a chance fourth, fifth place, stuff like that became much more reachable. I mean, there are a lot of Roto Leagues that give their buy-in back for fourth place. And in head-to-head leagues, which, again, we've talked about this tangentially, getting that extra one point every week really does add up over the course of the year, that one extra win. You end up with 15 to 20 extra wins over the course of an entire season. That's enough to vault you from fourth place to first or second. We talked about that when on an episode about how important getting a first-round buy would be. So what I'd like to do is next season, you guys can, can point to May 11th and say, Dan, you said this, you said you were going to do it. Don't forget to do it. Next season, I think I want to spend a little bit more time on streaming. Not a lot, maybe two to three minutes per episode, but just quick little dip-your-toe-in-it streaming discussions during the NBA regular season, which kind of wasn't a thing that we really focused on. Sure, we mentioned as going, you know, going through box scores, finding the key stories of the day. We mentioned in passing, hey, this is a guy that could actually make sense as a streamer on the roto side or a streamer on the head-to-head side or whatever it sort of was. But I do think that there's a schedule streaming element that we really need to look into a bit more during the regular season. Get those few extra games. If you miss out on some interesting pickup, that's probably okay. Because as we pointed out this year, there were like two pickups that actually were fantasy difference makers for an entire season. And in a lot of leagues, those guys actually got drafted. Desmond Bain got drafted in all my leagues. Gary Trent got drafted in all my leagues. These guys that went in like the 130s, 140s, those guys were on teams. In my, in my leagues. And I'm guessing they were in at least some of yours. So we're going to stream more next year. I haven't made up the exact amount yet. It's not going to be playoff level. We're not going to do that like N-1 thing. Where if you have four weekly roster moves, you can use... You can have three streaming slots. I've long since abided by an N divided by two streaming method. Where you can... If you have four wa- roster moves, you can have two streaming slots, but it probably falls somewhere in between the two that I was just mentioning. So two and change. And then in terms of injury stuff, you know, if you have a guy who's like a top 90 type of dude and he's going to miss more than a game or two, that's actually fine to go move on from that dude too. Turn it into a streaming slot, make decision-making easier down the line. I'm actually finishing up this podcast with coyotes wailing in West LA. Where the... Where the hell do they live around here? Just buildings. Maybe they would got an office. That's terrifying, by the way. I think I need to close the window. I'm going to go shaking my boots in the other room. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Tomorrow, we'll wrap up the week. Playoff. Playoff show.
Should be fun. Games on Friday, games on Sunday. We might have some series wrapped up. Maybe we'll have a series price for next one if we can, uh, depending on what happens tonight, I guess. Could something end tonight? Yeah, things can start ending tonight. I have trouble keeping track of where series are because they take so much damn time to play themselves out, but we should have some good stuff to talk about on Friday. I think so. And if we don't have new series yet, we can do some line guessing. Also fun. At Dan Vespers on Twitter, I'll talk to you over there if you're, you know, feel like talking about basketball even in mid-May. Why not? Come on, join me, won't you? Okay. Have a great day. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody.